At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone but not just anyone alma is there to help you find the right fit visit helloalma.com therapy 30 to schedule a free consultation today that's helloalma.com therapy 30 imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Sinead Grimes-Beach. And I'm Annalyn McCord. After years spent playing best friends on screen on 90210. And fighting like hell behind the scenes. Ah, yes. How could I forget? <laughs> we made it out of our time in Young Hollywood on a show that shared names with the most iconic zip code in the world. Bonded for life, but not without a shit ton of baggage in tow. Now we are back together letting it all hang out on our new podcast, Unzipped. Tune in and unzip with us and our brilliant guests every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, bestie, it's Cami Crawford. Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics, the good, the bad, and the straight up shitty. Need advice? Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in every Friday for new episodes. Be sure to follow us and subscribe so you don't miss all the hot goss. And if you're loving the show, please leave us a review. Talk soon, bestie. Hey, babe. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we have on the fabulous Hannah Brown. She's the Bachelorette from season 15, a former pageant girl like myself, winner of Dancing with the Stars. And she just came out with a new book, God Bless This Mess. And I am so impressed with Hannah for so many reasons. And I know you will be too by the end of this, if you aren't already with everything that she's done in her life. But even more than all of her accomplishments, I admire the way that somebody learns from their mistakes and then uses that learning to teach others and learn, just learning. Like somebody who's actually talking about listening and learning and actually listening and learning. Wow. What a concept. Love that for her. <laughs> Super excited about this episode. I'm so glad you guys are here. Keep listening. It's going to be fucking awesome. I'm so excited because today's guest is very special because we have so much in common. Well, first of all, okay, it's Hannah Brown. Hi. <laughs> we have Hannah here today. She is from The Bachelorette season 15. She was Miss Alabama USA 2018. Winner of Dancing with the Stars season yeah. 28. And now an author. Yeah. You have a book coming out. Yes. Tell I'm us so the excited. full name. Okay. My book is God Bless This Mess. Love it. And it's all about just going through like all the crap and trying to just get a little bit better mm -hmm. each day. Yes. Which is literally what we were just talking about. Yeah. How we're in a constant state of disarray 24-7. Yeah. Another thing to add to what we have in common. Yes. On top of pageantry. Yes. Which, so you knew me from when I was Miss Teen USA. Yes. And I obviously knew you when you competed at Miss USA. Yeah. But you had competed how many times before you won Miss Alabama USA? I competed. So I did the Miss America system for a while. Mm, the tea parties. Yes. <laughs> I heard they have tea parties. <laughs> I mean, very grateful for everything, but it's just yes. totally different. Totally different. And I just kind of jumped in the pageants, had no idea what I was doing. I did Miss 
Teen Alabama USA. It was like my second pageant. Mm-hmm. Like got second runner. I was like, oh, this is really fun. And then I went to the outstanding teen because you get so much scholarship money. Right. Got first runner up in that. And then I went into the, I guess the Miss. Yeah. And I did. I competed for like three years, four years a total. I can't really remember. And never made top fifteen. And then I won. That's that's how it usually works. Yeah. But I was so like, just trying. I could, I didn't know how to be myself. Like I kept trying, Mm. I think when I was younger, I was doing well because I didn't know any better. Right. And then it was like people nitpicking me Mm -hmm. and then I just lost myself in it. And then I took like a year off and then went back to Miss Alabama. And and, won. And won because I finally was like, I didn't have time to prepare for it. And I just went in and was myself. And that I feel like is... The entire idea, whenever people are saying that they're going to compete in a pageant, my number one advice that they always ask, like, what's your biggest piece of advice? It's always to be yourself. Yeah. And as cliche and like bullshit as that sounds, that is what wins you the crown. Yes. And will then take you further on in the next competition and just in life. Yeah. Because who wants to win something being somebody else? But I think the whole thing with pageants for me is like, you, you get in it and you're like, okay, how can I be better? And you prepare and prepare and prepare. But sometimes through that preparation, if you have too many people come into your bubble, that's mm-hmm. what happened to me. It was like, dye your hair, do this. Yes. Let me have your resume. Let me write it for you. Cause, right. And, and then you don't even know what to say in your interview because you didn't write your paper. Right. And, and then, but you see that work works for some other people. Mm-hmm. That was never going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a terrible faker, liar. I can't do it. And it's very obvious. And so it wasn't working until I just finally was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go in this and have fun. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. See what happens. Because what's your sign? I'm a Libra. A Libra. But my, what is it? My moon is a Taurus and my rising is a Scorpio. Ooh. I feel like somebody told me that (gasps) no wonder I'm effed up. Uh, (laughs) They're like, that explains it. Honestly, anything with Scorpio in it. And then Taurus is our sister sign. We're both hard-headed. And then Libra is like, I'm a Libra moon. So I can empathize with the Libra qualities because they fuck me up every time. I'm like constantly in a state of trying to rationalize other people's behavior. Where, what like, are we, like peacemakers yeah, or something? Always having to balance the scale. Everything has to be balanced. There has to be a reason for everything. Like there's always... There's always something bigger and a, a bigger reason, which is actually a good thing because it helps yeah. you. But then it's like, sometimes it's like, girl, no. <laughs> no. Well, so I, I don't know. It. I just, I've been, I'm like, please tell me that there's a reason why this brain is so. <laughs> what it is. It's, it's got met. It, I mean, like, I keep saying mess, but like, that is just what I am. Yeah. God bless it. God, God, God bless. I'm always like, bless it, girl. Bless it. Bless this Like, mess. I need, I need prayer. Oh, so then, okay, switching from, because people who are listening, if we can talk about pageantry all day and understand each other, a lot of people listening probably have no idea what that experience is even like. But I know, you have to understand, if you're listening to this, pageantry, while it does breed amazing opportunities and all kinds of things that like you would never even imagine. It also comes with like a dark side that a lot of people don't understand. Yes. Very. It takes a long time. I am through therapy at 29 years old as of a few days ago. Um, Working through and working out of some of the things that I learned in just a year and a half of competing and winning and reigning it's a lot. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from transforming, becoming more of yourself, winning Miss Alabama USA, and then going on to be a part of the Bachelor franchise and then being Miss Bachelorette, <laughs> being the Bachelorette, <laughs> same, same thing. It's the same thing. Like, how do you maintain your own personal integrity through that and, like, not change? Well, <sighs> That is such a loaded, and there's been so many like ups and downs. What I I also started therapy like a year, almost a year and a half ago. And one thing that my therapist made me realize is my whole life has been just a series of competitions. Mm. I mean, pageantry. Then I went to The Bachelor in big, like on big stages. And then Dancing with the Stars. And then everything in my life, I like 
think of it as a competition comparison. Mm. And I think that all kind of started though. Oh, and dance. I danced when I was growing up too. Because like when you're in pageantry, like it's it's three judges comparing a bunch of different girls and, mm-hmm. and you're like in that and it's hard, it's hard not to. And so I think getting out of her while coming back in and like, why did I like doing that? Mm-hmm. I like, cause it was fun. I loved being on stage. I loved feeling beautiful, like getting dressed up. Like I tried to go into Miss Alabama the year that I won like that of just feeling like this is just a week, like what? I'll, I'll lose a weekend of my life yeah. being on stage, whatever. Yeah. And it clicked and it worked. And I remember going into my interviews and them like asked me, randomly they would ask like so how have you done in this pageant before I'm like I didn't I haven't been in the top 15 you're like and well, let like, me tell you about it well, not well not well yeah and I was like yeah but I also had hair that was the color of a potato chip oh and my God. uh didn't know myself so I kind of know why I didn't make you know yeah. make it but and I think just being honest and coming so transparent helped me win but for Miss USA I went into my patterns because we have these mm-hmm. patterns like I had a moment where I'm like oh, it clicks. But that wasn't like a lifestyle for me. Yeah. And so then just had some like ups and downs of just like life stuff come in. And so what do you do when some you go into those patterns? And I just have been staying in this constant, or did, stay in this constant pattern of comparison, like always thinking like I wasn't enough, not worthy. How, how do I do that? What do I need to do? What do I not eat? What do I not say? What do I wear? How do I, mm. you know, who should I be with? Who should I not? Crazy stuff. Yeah. And I think it really took like during COVID for me to finally be like, what have I been doing? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because people like are like, oh, wow, you're so yourself. You're so authentic. Yes. And I had a lot that I had to process of what got me here. And yeah. I think you have to take time to slow down. I didn't have time to slow down. Yeah. So I think it's the slowdown that's helped me get back to who Hannah is. Yes. Oh, that is deep because I think that a lot of people can relate to that, but mm-hmm. not on the platforms. Like you said, you're in a constant state of competition on a major stage where everybody is watching you. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to grow and become more of yourself, but also having kind of like templates of what a winner should look like in each scenario. Yeah. And it's like, how do you not feed into that? Like, it's it's hard. It's really hard to go into self-discovery when you're in competition. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you what? had to have that time to like, I think there were so many times when I was writing my book, I was like, oh, like I look, I call those times like baby hand, like before everything happened, I'm like, oh, she was trying so hard. Mm. But then even you know, even when I got kicked, like kicked down a notch or had a success, I just got into an, another competition. I just wasn't ready yet in a way of like fully being able to do that self-work while in those circumstances, yeah, good or bad that I was in. And it, it took finally like, I mean, a pandemic for me to like, be like, oh, do I like what's happening? Do yeah. I like how I feel? Do I like where I am right now in life? What did I just go through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's just been a lot. But I think the, like the biggest thing that I've learned is like, if you really want to grow, if you really want to change, like you, you have to slow down to do it. Yeah. And not just be distracted all the time. Right. Which is easy to do when you're in the limelight. And like, obviously, there's like events here and there. And it's like, yeah, I could take the day to process my emotions and think about my trauma. Who wants to do that? Let me go to this party, this variety party, which is where we met. Yes. (laughs) I wonder what I was like then. I I, I always, (laughs) when people say that they met me during that time, I'm normally like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I was not in the right space. But not that I was mean, but I think I was just very, I had no one here. I was by Mm. myself and I was just being told to go here and there. And I really was just in a, not, yeah, kind of bad place, but it didn't look like it. Mm. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. (laughs) Do you want me to tell you about yourself? Yes. No, you were super sweet. Okay, great. You were so sweet. But I definitely, now that you say that, I think, 
I also felt like I was kind of floating around yeah. that place. And I felt the same kind of energy from you. Like, yeah. we're both there just kind of like floating. Like, what? I don't. Like, who are these people? And what are we doing? Yes. Where are we right now? <laughs> Like, I went there with my boyfriend because still to this day around L.A., I can't just, like, go to an event by myself. When I was living in New York, I would go to all kinds of things by myself. But yeah. here, going to something by yourself feels like And I didn't know anybody, weird. so I had to go by myself. And I'm like, help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had the same experience. <laughs> yeah. More more related. Yes. Back and forth. Yes. No, it's, that, that was it's definitely so it. But you were, you were nice. Okay. You I were mean, very nice. I, I feel like I'm a genuinely, like, nice person but I do sometimes think during that time I was very like aloof and Mm -hmm. like there's a certain level of anxiety too associated with it and then on top of the fact that like that was I think right when the season had ended because I think the first thing I said to you was fuck Jed Um, oh yeah but I, I I understand also coming from like when I meet people and they're like, I knew you when you were Miss Teen USA, I automatically feel like it's almost, I compare it to being like a Disney princess. Mm-hmm. When you go to Disney World or Disneyland, we're in LA, Disneyland. When you go to Disneyland, you're expecting if I meet Belle or Cinderella, they're going to be this way. Oh, yeah. And I'm not Miss Belle uh, or Cinderella. Yeah. The bitch from down the block. Like I'm I'm that girl. So I'm like trying to give you the experience that I think that you want, but also trying to be myself. But also like, can I be myself? Because you know me as this person. So maybe I shouldn't, I won't curse as much. or I won't like make a funny face. Yes. So I can only understand. It has to be the same. If you want that version of me, like you're probably going to be disappointed because like, I don't even know what that that is that you want. Mm -hmm. And you're not that anymore. Yeah. Cause like, I'm so glad that I've changed. I hope we're all like glad when we change. Yeah. Okay. Can I be honest with you for a second? If you're my trainer listening to this, just keep scrolling. It's a podcast, but just scroll on by this. You guys know if you've been following me, which I don't know why you wouldn't be if you're here, but if you've been following me for a while, you know that I have been on my fitness kick. I have been on a journey with fitness and I am loving my results. But if I'm being real, the one thing that has been holding me back has been the food because I love food. There's so much amazing food out there, but not all of it is good for you. And so that is why I have decided to switch to Green Chef. Green Chef has a meal plan for literally every healthy lifestyle, and it's America's number one meal kit for eating well, meaning they're the best meal kit, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, pescatarian, or if you just want to eat more balanced meals. You can enjoy new and nutritious recipes every week that are perfect for you and the whole family to enjoy. And they're pre-portioned, easy-to-follow recipes delivered right to you. So eating well has never been simpler. And listen, I get it. I know the struggle is real, but it's so easy with Green Chef. So why not try it, right? Go to greenchef.com slash cami125 and use code cami125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash cami125 and use code cami125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. Literally, guys, they're making it so easy for us. How can we not dive in? Okay, I'm hungry. I don't know about you. But um, make sure you check out Green Chef. Like I said, it's the number one meal kit for eating well. There is no better way to start your health journey than here right now. All right, back to the podcast. Let's go back. So after you are the bachelorette, you have this whole experience. It's insane. All eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. And you go on Instagram Live one night, got a little saucy, and you were rapping a song mm-hmm. and you used a racial slur, mm-hmm. you used the N-word. And after that, you put out a statement, an apology, mm-hmm. a written apology, and then you went dark. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't on social, nothing, nobody could hear from you, nobody could get in touch with you. I was calling you nonstop. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't have your number. <laughs> but, like, I was calling you I'm every like, day. You might have been. Like, pick up the phone. I need to talk to you. No, you went dark and you took two weeks off from social media Mm -hmm. and then you came back and you got on a live Mm -hmm. and you talked about what you had done in that moment and what you were doing since then to change internally and not just give an apology. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, 
before we before obviously I let you have the floor to speak. What struck me about that, because I remember watching the live live, was the honesty and the ownership. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who believes in redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching that, seeing the video and being like, oh shit, here we go, here we go again. Mm-hmm. And then watching your apology, I was like, this is somebody who is actually speaking from a place of truth and speaking from a place of taking ownership, taking accountability, Mm -hmm. doing the actual work that we've been asking everybody to do and coming back with new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. So from your perspective in doing that work, what do you think is like the biggest thing that you learned? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for all that. It was, it was so interesting. Like when that incident happened was a week before George Floyd was murdered. Mm -hmm. So I had been taking all this time because I woke up and realized what I had done. Yeah. Not, that's not an excuse that I was drunk, but totally I woke up and I'm like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, what I learned is that because I was white, because I had never even thought of myself as a part of the race conversation, I didn't have the capacity to handle a race conversation. Mm. And I now know like white fragility. I had every sign of, I was crumbling. Oh, people are going to think I'm bad. Oh no, what am I? And it was I about me. Mm. And I was not at the place to get on an Instagram live after right after that because what was I going to do? The poor white girl crying. You would cry. And that's what I appreciated about your apology was that you didn't give us the crocodile tears that were so useless because we would have been like, bitch, please. Because that's what, <laughs> what what white people do. It's, oh, don't think this about me. Oh, and it's like, if you grew up in America mm-hmm. and went to the school systems like, and you're white, we have systematic racism ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. And you have to take ownership about that. But when you're crying, it, that w- that wasn't going, people were going to start, other white people were going to be like, oh, look at her, she's mm-hmm. sad. So I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And what I did is I took some time to like process, not that like ever, I feel like most people know saying the N-word is bad. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I had to know that singing for me personally, I, I knew what I did was was not good, but it was what it created mm-hmm. that I needed to really process. And how could I really sincerely apologize in a way that like taking accountability and humbly coming to the conversation and being like, I don't know how to handle this, but this is what I've learned, mm-hmm. and this is how I'm realizing how I can be better. Yeah. I hired a educator to really like put me through an intensive course of racial studies. Yeah. And it was intense, like mm-hmm. sitting in the discomfort that that learning required was really, really hard and getting really honest and realizing that I've never had to deal with any of this in my entire life. And black people have to deal with this every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and if I feel tough. that if I feel that uncomfortable with this one conversation, mm-hmm. no wonder, like what I said was hurtful. Right. right. And so for me, I think it just the biggest thing that I learned through all that is that it's not a. I think I used to think that talking about race was a taboo thing for me to do. It's not even that like a. I can't. It's like I should. Mm-hmm. It's a. I have to. Because if not, like, it's just creating this cycle and honestly can create violence if, if white people don't come into this conversation and listen and be like, what can I do? Um, I think that was the, the biggest thing that I learned just overall is like, no, it's not like you're not being polite to not talk about race. It's, you're actually like hurting people. Right. Not talking about it. Right. And knowing that like, hey, I'm going to mess up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And and to be able to take that and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me what I should have said then. Or, or tell me what I said that hurt you. Because 
intention and impact are also two different things that I learned. Mm-hmm. My intentions were never to hurt somebody. My intention could be like, oh, that was funny. But what is the impact of that? Mm-hmm. And and that was a big, big lesson of understanding that my intentions were not malicious, but the impacts of, of what I did were still hurtful and yeah. create, it are part of a bigger problem. Yeah. And trying to understand that bigger problem. Right. I think a few things that you said in the live really struck me because I remember it was like the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in my boyfriend's bed. And I'm like, let me listen to what she got to say. Let me I can what she talking about. And yeah. you said you were like, I don't want to be a part of repeating a history of white people not taking accountability for things when black people and people of color call them out on their bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. OK, she listened and she learned. She yeah. has something to say. And it actually meant something. And even the other part that struck me the most was when because obviously I'm watching the live and I'm seeing the comments come in and you have other white people who are commenting being like, you don't have to apologize. We know you, we love you. Like, why are you apologizing? It's not that big of a deal. And you said, if you support me, do not defend me. Yeah. And I appreciated that because of course, as a black person watching this and seeing those kinds of comments, I'm like, it's not up to white people to Mm -hmm. defend you. It's Mm -hmm. not up to white people to forgive you or because that we see that a lot. We see that a lot. And it's like, no, she wants to step up to the plate and and make these decisions and and do things the right way. It's not up to you to say, you know, that she doesn't have to. She wants to. And that's good for us. Mm -hmm. But what's not good for us are the people in the comments saying X, Y, and Z. So I went completely, like I didn't, my team and everything, it was just better for me to just, I, I was working with an educator, that's all I did, mm-hmm. was not on social media at all. When I saw that, that was really upsetting for me because I wasn't asking for people, I, I wasn't wanting people to support me, defend me. I I appreciate people who after the fact are like, yeah, do better, mm-hmm. show up. Mm-hmm. But not a, like what I saw were being said about trying to deflect everything. But that's something that I realized that white people do mm-hmm. because <laughs> it's like the anti-blackness of like we as a whole white people it's also that good it's like anti-blackness and good bad binary of like racism's bad mm-hmm. so we have to be good so if, if anybody does anything racist we know it's bad but mm-hmm. like oh you can't be bad she didn't do she didn't mean it she didn't mean yeah. it it's like well, intention versus impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't mean it, but I, I can also hold myself accountable to like I messed up and I need to own up to that. Yeah. But it's just it was so interesting, like reading. I read White Fragility and that helped me a lot. Of course, I read from other people of color, their books. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it, it really did help having that book, White Fragility, that Robin D'Angelo wrote because it was like an experience that I was going through in real time mm. and to realize that like, this is like a pattern of what white people do because we're not equipped to talk about race because we mm-hmm. don't have to. Mm-hmm. And you know what's crazy? I think that some white people listening to us, we have white listeners. Hey, white listeners, how you doing? Hi. Um, <laughs> I think that some people will be like, well, I'm not like that. So like, why do you say all white people? And it's like, take yourself out of it. Yes. Um, when I say in general. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it is, y'all. <laughs> and it, it is. Because it's, it's like, <laughs> it is. it's those what like microaggressions you don't really realize. Yeah. Doing, and just the system systems that we're in. Yes. Yes. That if we don't realize that, if we don't question that, if mm-hmm. because this whole system society is, is built for, for white people to be ahead mm-hmm. and to, and if we're continue to be in those systems and not listen to people of color when they're hurting in these, the, these systematic racism that we have and we're not doing anything about it, but just being a complacent participant, mm-hmm. like that's also, that we're also part of the problem yeah. in that too. Yeah, and in trying to defend yourself over, like you know that there's a bigger system at play. Yeah. So you not being the one person who's not like that is great. 
We love that. We love to see it. However, acknowledging that it is a bigger problem, you may be an outlier and not trying to be a part of the problem, but also acknowledging the ways that you have been a part of the problem. It's also deflecting. Right. Because we don't like to be called out. Even if, yes, if a white person is not like that, it's our immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is to deflect Mm -hmm. instead of just listening. Yeah. And being like, humbly being able to say, oh, I hadn't seen it like that before. Oh, that's true. Right. And not making it about yourself. Right. Okay, Bestie, can we talk for a second? I want to talk about fertility because I feel like most of us grew up going to school and having sex ed and we learned a lot about how to prevent pregnancy. But what about those of us who want to get pregnant now? What about those of us who are trying to plan a pregnancy in the future? Where's our information about our reproductive health? Well, that's why Modern Fertility was created, because it's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You can mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. And I'm talking about insight into your hormone levels, how many eggs you have, and all the other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. I'm personally super excited about taking this journey. I've been putting it off for a while because one, the topic is super mysterious. Like who even knows what's going on in there? Well, modern fertility does. But also it's kind of like a vulnerable anxiety inducing thing. And it's nice to be able to do this at home. So I'm going to be taking this journey. I hope you'll do it with me. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash cami. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the several hundred or even $1,000 plus it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash cami, spelled K-A-M-I-E, modernfertility.com slash cami. I'll see you there, bestie. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. So how is it now for you then? Because I'm sure like coming from a small town, Alabama, and having friends that maybe you grew up with or, you know, in going through that experience and doing the work and learning all that you've learned and coming to the table with new information and coming humbly to the table with new information. I appreciate you even being here talking about this Mm -hmm. because you could have easily been like, no, thanks. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not into that. But I love the fact that you were like, no, like, yeah, I want to talk about that. Because even when I set the topic to your team, I was like, they gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> but you came. But like, how has it been now talking to like friends and family members and just people who are close to you about these topics that may have defended you during that time? Oh, it was it was hard. Yeah. Because, you know, of course, my friend and family are like, well, I know your heart. And I'm like, I know you know my heart. Mm-hmm. But let like, I have a, first of all, I have a, platform and a responsibility with that to to really make make this moment count and to take ownership that I did like can you can you guys see how I did mess up though? Mm-hmm. how like yes my heart intentions were not to hurt anybody but do you see why I did mm-hmm. and some of those conversations I'll, I'll be honest were really tough but who else was going to have those conversations with them mm-hmm and mm-hmm. that's why this podcast, I was like, I want to do this because what I learned is that like, I have to do these. Mm-hmm. Like I've been like this terrible, as terrible as it was and as, you know, hurtful as it was for other people and how I, you know, it was not my best moment <laughs> for me to take that situation and that that one mistake and make it a blessing and something that I can really learn from and help other white people who are following me for something totally different be able, maybe it's the only conversation they'll ever hear Mm -hmm. about race. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have to like, that's where I think I step in is, is being the white girl from Alabama, you know, Southern girl who's, who's stepping up and being like, yeah, let's have this conversation. And I might say something wrong, but I want to learn. And Tell me how I can be better. Yeah. And and really just trying to be a voice and then also a partner, truly like not just like my own voice, but like a partner that can help show up 
and show how other people how to show up even when you don't think you're supposed to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. So I'm trying my best. You're and doing, I'm gonna, you're doing and, amazing. You know, and the sweetie. thing is, it's like, I know I'm probably going to mess up. And I'm like, but that that's that's where I learned the most. Yeah. I'm excited that I was a part of this too. Yeah. So. No, I'm, I'm so glad because I think one of the things that I was talking to even my white friends about over the past two and a half years, because that was kind of when we were really forced to have mm-hmm. a lot of these conversations, is I need you to be that voice when I'm not there because mm-hmm. I'm not always going to be there. And people that look like me aren't always going to be mm-hmm. there. So if you're in that one meeting where they're deciding on something and it's 20 white people at a table and there's not one black voice in the room, I need for you to be that one white voice to be like, why aren't there any black people here? (laughs) Because that in itself provides a seat at the table that wouldn't have been there otherwise if everyone's just looking around at each other being like, this is fine. It's like that meme where it's like, this is fine and the whole house is on fire. It's like, no, it's not fine. And it shouldn't be normalized. And Mm -hmm. we should have more voices in the room. It's like if a bunch of, a a seat of 20 men are at a table deciding, you know, what we're going to use for the next tampon applicator. It's like, what What? the fuck do you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, we have to, we have to make sure that we're creating a space where everybody can feel seen. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the fact that you are taking kind of the the lead in being a voice for those people, for other, you know, Southern Bells that are following you that probably have, you know, had the same life experiences Mm -hmm. you have, at least as far as environment, and never having to have those conversations. And now you're able to be like, check out this book and they'll actually listen to you. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing, that's that's how you use your influence. Yeah, because a lot of people about the book, like, I, you know, I have people be like, you're going to write about that in the book? Like, you're not just going to brush it on the rug? I'm like, no. Yeah. Of course I'm going to. And I go into like, yes, how I felt as, you know, the book is, a, is about my life. And I go into the whole process of what was actually happening, but like also like the steps that I'm continuing to do. And I think it's going to really like, you know, like you said, some Southern Bells are going to like, oh, I want to mm-hmm. read about Hannah Brown, The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to, you know, have this part of this chapter where they're maybe for the first time going to hear or, or be like, what was actually going on and really be able to maybe just start thinking a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? I, I, I was one of the other biggest things that I like realized is, you know, I, I have black friends, but I never thought I should talk. Like, I didn't know that if I should bring up like when something like, Hey, is, is there something like, how does it feel right Mm -hmm. now to realize that? Like I can have more in-depth conversations with about race with my friends. I feel like it was always surface level. Yeah. Well, because I think a lot of white people think of like one thing that I've gotten from a ton of white friends, even growing up middle school, high school, it's like, I don't think of you like that. Oh, the colorblind oh, thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't see color. It's like there's nothing yeah. wrong. I want you to see color, okay? I want. I need you to see color because mm-hmm. if you don't see color, then you don't see my experience. Yeah. You don't see my life. You don't see what I have to go through. Mm-hmm. And there are so many beautiful colors out there. Why would you not want to see them? Yeah. Like that's how that's how I see it. Or like I don't, I don't think of you like that. Like what? Like what? What does that yeah. mean when you say that? And even for me as a black woman who grew up in predominantly white spaces Mm -hmm. and went to predominantly white institutions and grew up in an area that's predominantly Jewish and like most of a lot of the people that I went to school with were white. Thinking about the fact that I had so many opportunities to teach lessons but did not even have the tools myself or the courage myself or sometimes even the energy myself to stand up in situations like that where now in my late 20s, <laughs> 29. <laughs> Woo. I'm now looking at these situations different. I'm looking at microaggressions different. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at every opportunity where I might have been like, you know what? I just don't have the energy for that today. I'm just going to let that slide to actually, no, I'm not. It's it's also not just your w- weight to carry. Like your mm-hmm. white friends have to show up for you. Mm-hmm. Like a real mm-hmm. friend's going to like, y- yeah, you're not going to have the energy. Yeah. So that's like me. what that's what I learned like from I was like with my educator I was like this is I'm just so exhausted and like think about 
what it's like living every day, mm-hmm. having to think and mm-hmm. process this information. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like that's when I was like, uh, my privilege is just being able to walk around as a white person. Mm-hmm. It is just my energy level is like 10 times more. Yeah. We're starting, uh, you know, the race ahead. Yeah. Just in walking around. Yeah. Listen, girl, it must be nice. You know, sometimes we just think <laughs> black people be like, damn, it must be nice. But you know what? That's a part of the experience. And I just appreciate when white people actually start taking accountability for mm-hmm. these things and trying to learn. So we have a bunch of people who wrote in and have questions about, you know, kind of how to handle certain situations. And, you know, I think kind of even if we can't be necessarily like straightforward guidance necessarily, I think that there's just something to learn about having conversations like this. So um, if any of what I just said just made any sense, we'll see. Okay, this is from, just kidding, anonymous. Uh, (laughs) See, I have to check the whole thing. Okay, my ex-best friend was white and our friendship ended over a huge disagreement over Black Lives Matter and police brutality last year during the height of the movement. I ended this friendship because what kind of person is understanding of police brutality, but not the killing of black lives? Girl, don't even come for me, LOL. I already know. I sure know how to pick them. I don't want to become friends again. I'm 100% okay with that. It's just annoying when the memories flood in and I get sad. We were friends since the eighth grade and next year is our 10-year reunion to put it in perspective. Mm. So uh, that was kind of, it wasn't like necessarily a question, but for... People who are having difficult conversations, what kind of is your tip for white people who are hearing for the first time from their black friend that like something you said hurt me or you did something that I don't like or this experience, this is what I'm experiencing in my life. Can you not necessarily relate? I don't expect for white people to relate to black issues or racial issues, but to have a certain level of understanding and empathy, I think is important. So what are your tips for white people? (laughs) As the the white spokesperson of America, (laughs) (laughs) what kind of are your tips for people who are hearing these things for the first time? Well, coming from it from a different perspective, but it's not when when you hear that, it's not to bring your perspective in first. It's Mm. to have that empathy and be like, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way and and listen and then respond by not like what I learned is like you ha- you have to like take a second take it in be like I can't quite understand that myself but like I believe you mm-hmm. I can't and you can't even say like if the thing is you can't say I can't feel your pain mm-hmm. I don't know your struggles but I'm here with you. And what can what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. How can I be here for you? And not, oh, see, I saw it this way. Mm-hmm. That's that's not how My you My uncle was a police officer. Yeah. That's not Nobody how wants you... to talk about your uncle. No. Oh. <laughs> my, I really didn't want to. <laughs> but I think that's that's where I have realized like it's just to take a minute, pause, be like, I can't understand but I want to be here to listen mm-hmm. and and be a friend to you right now. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing, mm-hmm. but still, try, it's still trying. And yeah. and I think that's the best way that I've. And I'm still like I'm still learning. I'm not going to say I'm like that's why I'm like ah, I'm still trying to figure mm-hmm. this out. But I think it's more just to listen and be like, man. I can't imagine and like really process like what somebody's saying, especially like Black Lives Matter. It's like regardless of where you're where you're coming from in this conversation, like people are scared for their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and have some empathy for that before you start coming in with a, your opposing view. Mm-hmm. About White Lives Matter too. It's like, yeah, we are well aware. Yeah. <laughs> we know. So I think it's just <laughs> that space of like taking it in. Mm-hmm saying I'm here for you. Yeah. And yeah, I I just, I think it's really hard because you can't really relate and being like, I can't relate, but like, I'm here for you. And how Mm -hmm. can I show up for you? Yeah. And and I don't know. Yeah. That's that's what I would do. I think that that makes a lot of sense because- What would you say? Well, I would, I mean, I would have said 
the same if I what were, would you if want I yeah white. I was like what would you want your um, white friends I to would do? want for them to just listen like yeah. I would just want you to listen and not yeah. insert your experience with police because that's not my experience yeah. with police and I remember one time I actually got stopped in Alabama the scariest experience I was coming back really? from Miss Alabama USA I went to the pageant I was driving back from the pageant. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I was exhausted. I literally had my gown on and some sweatpants and my glasses. And I'm driving home with my friend, my black friend. We're driving back to Tuscaloosa because I went to the University of Alabama my freshman year. Oh, I was like, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay. Grand reveal. Um, oh, so you, I know where you were driving yes. from on that. Yes. That, from Mobile. Yes. Back. And I'm on that like one highway. That one that, road. Yeah. It's like this. Yes. yes. And it's two o'clock in the morning. And I was speeding. I was definitely speeding. It was like a set. It was a 70, you know, I was going 95 and a 70. Yeah. I was definitely speeding. <laughs> but I wanted to get home because I was so tired. I yeah. had class the next morning. I shouldn't have been speeding. Whatever. Anyway, so I'm driving, get pulled over. I'm like literally shaking, like near tears. Is a white police officer. I saw him come out of the car and my friend is shaking. We're literally holding hands. And it's just the overwhelming fear. Whereas if you were driving down that same road, you probably wouldn't feel that. You'd be like, oh shit, I'm about to get a ticket. I would be like, oh my, <laughs> you know what I would do? And this shows my white privilege. I would, I would have started crying. Yeah. I would have been like, <laughs> yes. bring the tears. Yes, exactly. Like I miss Alabama. You yeah. But, yeah. He yeah. wouldn't have given a shit yeah. except for the fact that he could not have been nicer. He was <sighs> the nicest cop. He literally came over and was like, girl, where are you going so fast? Why are you driving so fast? I should give you a ticket. You were going like 95. You got to slow down. And he was like, where are you going? You look really nice. But even just having that moment of relief is something. And, and the jitters that I felt even afterwards driving home is something that white people can't relate to. You wouldn't be able to relate to that. And I don't want you to experience that because it's not a good feeling. But it's like just taking the time to sit back and be like, that would never be my experience. And because of that, let me just listen to you yeah. and let me just hear what you have to say. That would be what I would want. Yeah. Okay. Just like Great. how you just did. Great. <laughs> That's what I would want. That's exactly what I would want. So we had another one from someone, but it's kind of the same thing. Basically, she was saying that her best friend is getting married in November and they were looking for fall decor and she had basically said that she wanted to have raw cotton in her wedding. Her friend is white, she's black, the person writing in. And um, she basically told her that that made her feel uncomfortable to have raw cotton as decor for obvious reasons. And her friend kicked her out of the wedding and mm -hmm. told her that she didn't want her to be a bridesmaid anymore, which has to hurt. That has to, that has to hurt, but it goes back to the idea that when your black friends come to you with something, you can't just sit and take it it's like, but I'm not, I didn't do that. And like, I, I love cotton. And it's just like, <laughs> what? It's just like, just take a moment outside of yourself the same way you would for anything else. If somebody came to you mm -hmm. and said something you said hurt me, mm -hmm. you would want to just take a moment and really feel, feel that mm -hmm. and, and think about ways that you could do something differently. Mm -hmm. The same way you would for anybody else that you care about with your black friends when they're talking about race things, you got to do the same thing. Yeah. Take yourself out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I would, I just think I could, I feel like I just see that, that interaction. And I think sometimes that catches white, especially before this past two years, it catch it catches white, white people off guard. Like, mm -hmm. what? Yeah. What? Cotton, what? What? There's a problem. <laughs> what? Plantation, what? Yeah. <laughs> what that's a problem too it's like we we're I, it's like oh I, yeah just but just like having that that stillness of like oh okay mm -hmm. I, it's not my intention to hurt you I now get why I did mm -hmm. I see the impact yeah. of having cotton at my wedding how yeah. that could you know stir up some emotions yes and I I see you and I hear you and it's also like choose the hill that you want to die on do you really want to die on the oh, hill of oh. having raw cotton at the wedding that's kind of <laughs> just really? cut it out. Just cut you it out. Need, yeah. Try and a lose nice a friendship. Floral. Try yeah. a nice floral arrangement. I think yeah. that would that would be better suited. I like flowers. I like way more I than like cotton. Flowers. I'm gonna be yes. honest. Same, exactly. <laughs> Same. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that that is that's the gist. I mean, people are going to be listening to this. Your book comes out November twenty third, twenty third, and this episode is going to come out around the same time, which Perfect. will be around the holidays. Yeah. So obviously, we want people to buy the book. Where it's can they get the book? They can get their the book at. Amazon. I mean, I was going to say, it's like Amazon's Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Perfect. Wherever books are sold. Yes. Love that. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) wherever you can find your books, go get your books. But I have a link in my bio where you can buy the books and it'll have the list of all the places. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So obviously we want them to get the book, but we also want for you to listen to this and take these tools with you into having those tough conversations over the holidays because mm-hmm. we know like you're going to get sitting at the dinner table mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Something's going to be said. Something's going to come up. Something's going to come up. And like even the idea of like, you know, we did the episode about talking to your family, but with your friends, even some of your hometown friends, like maybe you moved to the big city and like now you're going back to your small town and you're going to have those conversations with your friends even just every day, even coworkers and different relationships. Like microaggressions can happen anywhere. There's always an opportunity to stand up for people of color. And there's always an opportunity to act as an ally and show allyship in different ways that you may not even realize Mm -hmm. is possible. So I'm so happy that you came. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I hope it wasn't, you know, too too crazy. I don't know. It was great. <laughs> I, I, I think it was great. I mean, it's a lot of like the learning takes place in like one of my other things. Learn a lot of learning takes place like behind. It's it's not always just yeah. post every time you open a book you post on your Instagram. It, it happens at home and and behind the doors. And so to be able to have conversations, I think it's also necessary too when you are doing the work yeah. to be able to show up in all different ways. So I'm excited that I was able to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And this was an easier one only because you did the work already. Yeah. But they're not always going to be easy. Oh, I mean, it's not. It's still, it's uncomfortable because yeah. I haven't had the capacity to deal with it my entire life. Mm-hmm. And that's on my privilege to be white. Mm-hmm. But it just because it's difficult or might be uncomfortable, like, okay, mm-hmm. we still, like, if I say I want to be an ally, I want to get better, then you got to show up and you, you got you to gotta do it. Yeah. And you got to get it wrong and try to be better the next time. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I could come on here and maybe get it wrong, try to get it right, <laughs> and get better as we move forward. Amen. God bless. God bless it. God bless this mess. Yes. God bless this podcast. (laughs) God bless you, Hannah Brown. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch a new episode of Relationship every single Friday. Make sure you hit that follow button so you don't miss any of the action. And I want to hear from you. So please, if you love the show, leave us a review. But by review, you know I only need five stars only. And let us know what you think. Make sure you follow us on socials at Relationship on Instagram and at Relationship Pod on Twitter. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye, bestie.